Welcome to the Ralph Shaheen Show presented by Lucas Oil. Today we're talking, uh, I grew up in Northern California in Sacramento. And of course you have racing heroes from your hometown area. And the gentleman we're talking with today is one of mine. The legendary Luke Warmwater, better known as Jimmy Sill. And we're going to get into the story of Jimmy and who is Luke Warmwater, the driver out of Hot Springs, Arkansas, here in a little bit. His recent book is Life with Luke, and it was written by one of our contributors here at Speedsport, Dave Argerbright, the great writer, does such a good job with all of his stories and his books. It's Life with Luke and other exciting racing adventures. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Ralph. It's good to be here. Yeah, so, uh, well, let's let's dive into Luke first, just so everybody understands why the book is titled that way. Who the heck was Luke Warmwater, and how did he come about? Well, you know, everybody needs an alias sometime in their <laughs> life, and, and uh, I was at the point in my life where I needed one, and the way it happened was, at the end of 1988, I'd raced 114 races, um, Brad Doty got hurt that year, went through a divorce. I thought it's time to make a life change. So the end of the year, the very last race was at Baylands and the last race was a Gary Patterson classic. And I wanted to win that race. And Steve Kinzer showed up there and beat me out of it every year. So I wanted to race one last time. So I thought, well, here's an opportunity. So I called the promoter, Dave Bodden, and I says, Dave, I says, I'm going to retire, and I'm going to let my last race be at Baylands. It'd be only fitting. I've won 49 races there. Man, I would like to end it with 50, and nothing would be better than to make it the Patterson Memorial. But to do that, I need you to put up $1,000 for me to show up. So he talked to his guys, and he agreed, and he says, but there's one rule here. He says, you can't come back racing in three months. You know, you know how you guys are. So I says, oh, no, oh, no, I'm serious. I've already, I've already got a job, and, and, and uh, no, I'm, I'm quit. So about three months later, I became a salesman for Carrera Shocks and Design 500 race uniforms. And I was a lot better racer than I was a salesman. So I, my bank account was dwindling down, and and somebody called me up from Australia and says, hey, says, uh, hey, mate, says, you want to come down and run some races? And I says, yeah, but keep this quiet. <laughs> so in the meantime, another guy that I drove a midget for, uh, he calls and he says, tells me there's going to be a race at Chico. And it's going to be right at the time I get back from Australia. And, uh, and then a friend of mine with a sprint car, they got a sprint car race at Chico the week after. So I thought, man, I can make a paycheck, but I don't, we can't use my real name. And uh, I'd heard this name years before. So I called John Pageant, who was a promoter, Chico, and I said, John, I'm going to come up there and race. But I said, you can't use my name. I says, I'm going to be Luke Warmwater from Hot Springs, Arkansas. <laughs> so I go up there and I win the race. And uh, it, it, this was the midget race. And so I get out of the car and I got my helmet on and John's laughing. He says, well, what are you going to do now, Luke? And I says, I'll just leave my helmet on. <laughs> he says, no, you got to take your helmet off. So as soon as I pulled my helmet off, somebody yells, you know, everybody in the grandstands is wondering who this Luke Warmwater is. And as soon as I pull my helmet out, somebody yells out, oh, bullshit, that's silly. <laughs> yeah, so, so the next week I win the sprint car race in my friend's sprint car. Um, we went, then we went to Grass Valley, we're, was going to win the race. We passed for the lead. Our bread came out. They were over curfew, so they called the race, and I passed Tim Green. And so I went back a lap, so Tim won the race. Went up to Washington, ran a couple of races up there uh, for Jim Burrow because his, his son Bobby got suspended for a couple of weeks. And uh, so it was a lot of fun for a while. And then they started announcing me as Jimmy Stills racing as Luke Warmwater and kind of took the fun out of it. And uh, there was actually a guy, a writer in Washington that heard little bits of information about Luke Warmwater. And, and he heard Carrera, you know, cause I was working for Carrera shocks. And uh, so he just wrote this article that I was racing as Luke Warmwater as not to uh, jeopardize my ride in the Porsche Carrera team. 
And so, <laughs> so that's how a little bit of information turns into fake news. And did you uh, did you appear as Luke Warmwater in the pages of Speed Sport back then, or were you uh, Jimmy Sills, also known as Luke Warmwater? Do you remember? No, I think it came through as Luke. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. So you've won races. You might be the only driver in the history of motorsports that has won races and been talked about in the pages of Speed Sport in our 85 years as two different people. Could be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 been a great story. How did the uh, follow-up phone call from David Vaden go? I'm sure he buzzed you after. Well, see, Baylands was closing down then, and uh, and so uh, I think he went to work for Petaluma Speedway. Yeah, and so he wasn't employed. Baylands was done, and uh, so it was all just kind of a good laugh after that. <laughs> It is a great story and obviously a big topic in the book of life with Luke. So how did, uh, before you became Luke, how did life get started for you? How did your racing career begin? Well, like most racers, I was kind of born into it. Um, my father raced, but he, he died of uh, cancer when I was three, but I still at that age, everything I thought or did of was about race cars. You know, everything was, you ran to everywhere, making race car noises. You know, you got on your bike and you had little cards flapping on the spokes, so it sounded like a motorcycle. And, you know, everything was about motorsports. And uh, so you, I, uh, my, then my, my stepdad, who my mom married when I was in first grade, and uh, uh, then later on, he became, uh, he was a race super modifieds at, at Roseville and in West Capitol and then became a, um, a NASCAR cup driver. And we moved to Asheville, North Carolina. And, uh, so then I wanted to, God, I wanted to race worse than anything in the world. Went back home, teamed up with Ed Watson, who was, uh, one of, uh, my stepdad's car owners and slash mechanics. And uh, he ended up building a car and, and got started out at West Capitol and Super Modifieds. That's great. It did so many uh, legendary facilities out there on the West Coast that you ran at. You've listed off a handful of them already in Baylands and West Capitol and Roseville and Placerville. And uh, you, you haven't mentioned Calistogie yet, but I know it's important to you and Chico. Um, what was it about racing out in that area on the West Coast during that time period? that made you uh, a great race car driver? Well, you know, West Capitol was really a competitive track. They ran, they ran super modifieds for the first two years I raced there. And then I, then I got a sprint car ride and just ran sprint cars. Um, but West Capitol used to get 60, 70 cars every Saturday night. And it was tough to make the show. Um, so you may, you learned to race hard right off the bat. You know, it's like going to Chili Bowl. Uh, <laughs> as soon as you hit the racetrack and they drop the green, you better be ready to go because everybody else is, and, and uh, you're going to get knocked out of the way. They had uh, a little heavier cars, a lot of Nerf bars, and so there was some contact on that little little racetrack. Um, so and and then we started running a lot of different tracks, you know, Chico, and um, I, but I wanted to go to the Midwest and and I wanted to race with the best all over the country. I wanted to race some bigger racetracks, you know, and Calistoga was a big racetrack and yep. it was one of the fastest tracks, uh, anywhere. It had huge straightaways. And, uh, so as soon as I got the opportunity, um, I drove for a guy named Bob Davis and, and we went to, uh, uh, well, we started off going to Washington for the dirt cup. And then we went to the Midwest and, uh, raced, a couple of races there and then went to Pennsylvania and raced for a couple of months in the Pennsylvania area. And of course, everybody knows that's one of the toughest places uh, in the whole country to race. And uh, the best I did there was I ran second to Smokey Snowbaker at Williams Grove yeah. and uh, uh, led the race till about 10 to go and Smokey comes smoking by. And, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, that was kind of how I got, got transferred into into sprint car racing from super modified you know west capital raceway for those that might not know was located right there in sacramento was it a quarter mile it was just over the river yeah, from the where it was the capital a quarter mile is. and it was uh it was right next to the 
through a river. Yeah. And so it had black gumbo clay, you know, kind of river bottom stuff, mm-hmm. uh, similar to what Knoxville has. And it was always known as just real sticky gumbo clay. And uh, most of the time, your your biggest problem was trying to get your car loose enough so it didn't try and tip over every corner. Yeah, and the, the names that you were racing with against back then, too, you already mentioned Gary Patterson, but Anderson and Boyd and, boy, some of the greats uh, that made sprint car racing and certainly in modifieds back then out there, which is the modifieds out there, too, you might want to explain, was a little bit different than what people might think of of a modified in the Midwest or the East, too. It was almost kind of a the evolution into the sprint car Actually, um, in when I started racing, the super modifieds beat the sprint cars whenever they would have an open yeah. show um, because the super modifieds were a little bit looser. They were a little wider. Uh, the sprint cars were always too tight there. And so they, they, they were actually faster. Huh. Well, who was the toughest guy you had to battle with back then? Oh, Gary Patterson was tough. Wally Baker uh, he was winning a lot of races when I first started, and he raced with my dad back in the 50s. Uh, Larry Burton, he was my teammate when I first started. Uh, so Larry helped me a lot with my driving starting out, and Larry got me my first uh, couple of trips to Australia, and uh, that kind of set me up for the next, I think, 16 trips I made in all to Australia, and then I made, I think, another six to uh, New Zealand. So um, he kind of set the tone for me there um yeah there was just there was just a whole bunch of like johnny anderson yeah he was he was just bad i remember johnny one night um he tipped over and they took the top wing off he started in the back and came through and won the race incredible that's how good he was yeah pretty good wheelman right they're all part of the stories that you can find in life with luke and other exciting racing adventures. The story of Jimmy Sills, written by Dave Argerbright. We're going to be right back with more with Jimmy Sills, also known as Lukewarm Water, right after this. Lucas Complete Engine Treatment is a multifunctional cleaner, plus lubricant from the labs at Lucas Oil Products. It's designed for use in both engine oil and fuel systems. It also cleans and lubricates the entire gas or diesel fuel system, from the tank to injectors. It contains special Lucas additives that cause the fuel to burn thoroughly and helps increase your miles per gallon. Expect longer engine life, longer oil life, cleaner exhaust, and less fuel consumption. Lucas Oil Complete Engine Treatment. It works. I can work in 14 different states. I have world-class facilities. I get to work in an air-conditioned and heated shop. I have great paid health care. I get a tool allowance. There's an educational allowance as well. Yeah, career growth opportunities are amazing. This is a great career opportunity for the ladies as well. I get to work for a great company and brand in Hendrick. With a variety of dealerships nationwide, you can become part of a great team. Apply today at workathendrick.com. Well, welcome back, everybody, to the Ralph Shaheen Show, presented by Lucas Oil. Of course, if you want to know about the racing career of the great Jimmy Sills, you can find it right here in his new book, Life with Luke, written by Dave Argerbright. If you follow Jimmy's career, then you would have learned a lot about him right here in the pages of Sprint Car Midget Magazine. If you'd like to learn more about Sprint Car Midget Magazine or follow us daily in our website, visit us at SprintCarMidget.com. Jimmy, you talked about racing down under uh, in the last segment, and I know that was very important to you in a large part of your career racing in Australia and New Zealand. How did that all begin, and, and how important was that for you? Uh, well, it was very important. One thing is you race 12 months out of the year. You know, you would uh, finish up your season here. You may have a couple of weeks off, and then you went, went down there and raced, and then you came home, and the uh, season was starting up here. So uh, I think it made me a lot sharper racing that much more. Um, and, and when I first went down there, we ran teams races and uh, they would have, uh, let's see, there was me and uh, Larry Burton, Steve Kinzer and Doug Wolfgang one year. One race there, we had uh, uh, Gary Patterson and Larry Rice were on our, on our team yeah. and uh, Larry Burton. We were standing on the front straightaway and they were announcing the teams and uh, they 
played the national anthem when we were standing there with our American flag. And I think it was Gary Rush, Bob Tunks, uh, Winnebottom, uh, and Steve uh, Brazier. And so they were holding their Australian flag. So when they started playing the Australian national anthem, Gary Patterson went over and grabbed the flag out of whoever's hand, <laughs> act like he was wiping his butt with it, and threw it down on the racetrack. There was 18,000 people at that track oh, no. that wanted to climb the fence <laughs> and bet. kill us. And <laughs> there was a shower of beer cans that you wouldn't believe. The only good thing is no Aussie will throw away a full beer. So they were all empty cans coming over there. But then after that, they put us in the back. They call them. They called it a ute, which was a uh, like a El Camino or Ranchero. And they paraded you around the track, and you waved at the fans and dodged beer cans all the way around. <laughs> so the, you, Gary Patterson was really good, and Ed Wilbur was kind of the same in the stock cars, getting all the fans really fired up, and uh, and and that was kind of a big draw to uh, to the racetrack every week. Well, it sounded like the adventures of racing down under were uh, maybe even more thrilling than some of the ones you had up here. It sounds like some of the post-race activities, whether it was uh, sightseeing tours or the parties after the races were pretty extreme in their own right. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the Warren Bull Classic, I think they just ran it last week. The party after that is, uh, is unbelievable. Uh, I actually went down there it's probably been eight, nine years ago and actually drove in it. Uh, they felt sorry for me, thought I maybe needed a ride. So uh, a guy brought me down and I got to run the race. Uh, the, and the, the after race party had really picked up and it was big before. But then they had, uh, I know uh, Max Dumpsty's son, who's racing now, they were towing him on a piece of sheet metal behind a, a quad. And they were towing him around, and it would swing out from behind him. He was just missing race cars and fences and oh, everything. Man. I thought, oh, if that kid ever lives long enough to be in a race car, he's going to be be the bravest one out there. And then they they took, and, and, and I don't recommend this to everybody because this actually really turned out to be bad and when one person lost his life because of it. But oh. they took a fuel drum. And it would have maybe, um, you know, five gallons in the in the drum, and they would undo the cap and lay the fuel down so the fuel was running out. And some guy would sit on the front of the fuel drum oh, like no. he was going to ride the drum, and then they would light it on fire, and it would shoot flame out the back. And it looked like the guy was on a rocket, but it, it never went anywhere. It just made a big, huge flame. Oh. But... Uh, <laughs> That was wow. some of the stuff that uh, goes on. And, of, of course, uh, there's a lot of beer drank after the races there. Um, they call it a big piss-up, and, and they call beer piss. And so uh, 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 most of their beer tastes better than that, but uh, that's kind of the gist of it. Wow, that's a pretty wild excursion for sure. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and you always had some pretty interesting teammates when you went down there, too. As you said, it was always kind of a team thing. Was there a lot of pride taken in that amongst you and the, the other American drivers? Oh, yeah, there was, you, you, especially because uh, you were racing, you know, not only racing for the win, you know, you were racing for your country. And so, you know, and all Americans are patriotic or we all used to be. Um, so, yeah, you, there was a lot of pride felt in, in the racing. And, um, yeah, so it was fun. And after we we would run match races, and then after the match races, we would all run a feature, and they would start all the all the Yanks in the rear, and so we would have to come through um, all the all the cars to get a win. So uh, yeah, it was it was tough racing, and uh, it was a lot of fun though. You do you think, as you say in the book, when you first went down there, you were pretty young into your racing career in the very early stages, and maybe weren't really well known across the country yet. Uh, somewhat on the West Coast, but going down under, do you, do you think that really helped make your name? Yeah, you know, in, in, we don't have the social media that we did then, and I know National Speed Sport carried some of the coverage down there, but 
now Australia doesn't seem like it's that far away. Then it seemed like it was in another world. And uh, so the, the, the coverage wasn't quite as good. But, yeah, you got some. And, you know, and people thought, gosh, if you're going to Australia during the winter, you must, you must be pretty good. So, yeah, it, it probably did help my career some in some ways. And then after that, you said you ventured to the Midwest and the East. Um, how tough was it for a West Coast driver to break in in those markets? Because it had to be done back then. Oh, yeah. You, you know, and we would start racing earlier in California so I could I could start, you know, in February, March. And then, then uh, by May, uh, then the seasons were going good and you could race four or five times a week through the middle of the summer in the Midwest. And, uh, the tracks were all bigger. Uh, when I first went back there, it was pretty much all without wings in the Midwest, uh, until you got to Pennsylvania and they ran wings there. But at that time they were a 16 square foot wing. So they were small wing. Um, they didn't run any nose wings then. And they ran a, they had a 317 motor limit which is you don't think they'd go very fast, but those guys all were fast. And uh, the competition was really tough because uh, nobody had any more horsepower than anybody else. Uh, so, yeah, all those, you know, and, and learn to drive bigger, big tracks and, uh, and go fast. And, and so that, that really helped my career. Plus, you get to know uh, car owners and other people, other racers. And, and so then... I was able to get rides that were local back there so I could go back and send, spend the summer uh, racing for, I spent a couple of summers racing for uh, Bob Tuttle in Des Moines, ran Bob Trossel's car some there, spent a summer in Columbia, Missouri for driving the 86 car. Then I spent a summer in, um, in Pennsylvania driving the Wiker livestock car. Yeah, Jimmy Sills, he's a three-time USAC Silver Crown Champion and a member of the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame. We're going to be right back to talk with Jimmy Sills some more here on the Ralph Sheen Show, presented by Lucas Oil. One of the main reasons for poor vehicle performance is a dirty fuel system. It can cause decreased fuel economy and actually do harm to your engine over time. By adding Lucas Fuel Treatment to your vehicle, it cleans and lubricates the entire fuel system. Pump, carburetors, fuel injectors, and valves as you drive. It also improves your vehicle's performance. It's a non-solvent product designed to protect both gasoline and diesel engines. Lucas Fuel Treatment. It works. We might be a tick over 80 years old, but we have no thoughts on slowing down. And who said reinventing yourself isn't fun? The all-new Speedsport.com is here. New layout, new images, new video, and all the late-breaking news you expect from America's Motorsports Authority. We know you love sprints, midgets, late models, and everything else that gets dirty. Plus, we've got all your pavement series covered, too. The all-new Speedsport.com. You know, for guys who really love racing. Back with the Ralph Sheen Show, presented by Lucas Oil. This is one of their great products, Lucas Oil's Heavy Duty Oil Stabilizer. Make sure you put some of this in your car and keep it running smooth. We're talking with three-time USAC Silver Crown Champion Jimmy Sills, a member of the National Sprint Car Hall of Fame, the author of the recent Life with Luke, which was written by Dave Argebright, one of our great contributors and writers here at Speedsport. Jimmy, you were mentioning uh, just at the end of the last segment there about how you drove for so many different car owners across the country. And that's one of the interesting parts of the book, how you would hop from one ride to another, not just you, but drivers of the day. That seemed to be a lot of what happened. Uh, somebody would get hurt. You jump in their car. Uh, you, you'd move in. Somebody would have to disappear for a while. And all of a sudden their seat opened up and they'd never get it back. How challenging was it that way back then? Oh, well, it seemed like there was a lot more car owners at that time. Um, and I think it was because racing sprint cars was a little more dangerous and nobody wanted to put their kid in one of those things. So there was more car owners that would just hire uh, somebody that's out there trying to make a living doing it. And so <clears throat> I know one race, uh, one weekend I uh, was driving for Lovell Brothers. They were out of uh, uh, Yuba City. Yeah, and so and 
We started off the year, we won a CRA race at El Centro and a bunch of local races. And we went down to Hanford and I had the flu going down there and all the way down, we had to stop and let me use the restroom about every few miles. And so I go out in the hot lap and actually Jeff Gordon was hot lapping with us that day. And uh, so I went out there and I was following Jeff because I wanted to get a, you know, get a feel what he was doing, and he was fast. I want to tell people that that kid jumped in the sprint car, and uh, it was just automatic speed. And so I was following him in hot laps, and he came up on a slower car and slowed down for that car, and I used it as a pick and got around him. While a lap later, I went into turn one, and a torsion arm broke, and so I flipped. And uh, it was a pretty good flip because I was wide open going into the corner and the car lands upside down and nobody, nobody wants to climb out of those things upside down. So I landed there and I saw, you know, and my first thought was, oh, good. Now I can go back to the truck and and (laughs) and go to sleep. So I'm crawling out of this car with it upside down, you know, and, and, and this guy's standing there and he says, says, Hey, he says, I don't know how you feel after that. He says, well, would you like to drive my car tonight? My driver's not here. And, and I says, oh, which, which car is it? And he says, well, it's a nine car that Mylon Garrett's been driving. And I says, okay, that thing's pretty fast. So I went and got in that car. And uh, I think we, we finished third. They, they called the race early because it got real dusty. And uh, so the next night or the next day, we went to Brent Cadings and Worked on our car all day. Still got the flu. Go, went to Baylands. Uh, I think I maybe ran in the top five. And so my car owners, they found out that I wrecked their car and just jumped in somebody else's car. And he wanted his car at Chico every Friday night anyway because that was local to him. And then then he would have bragging rights on all, with all his friends during the week. And uh, so... I end up getting fired. So I call Les Kepler, who was the guy that talked to me when I was crawling out from under the car. And I says, Hey, I says, you know, I need a job now. I just got fired out of that car. Uh And I says, I know you guys want to travel and do some racing. And, uh, would you like to hook up? So he says, well, let me talk it over. And, and so calls back says, yeah, okay. We got a deal. So poor Mylon Garrett, who went to the hospital to help his wife have a, their first child ends up losing his ride um, because of it. And uh, so I've been, <laughs> I felt sorry for Mylon and uh, it's taken him a long time to get over that, but now he will, he will speak to me. So <laughs> uh, that, that, that's one way I got a ride and, and uh, I probably lost rides in similar ways too. Yeah, it's kind of the rough and tumble era of uh, sprint car racing, and the tumbling part was a big part of it. It wasn't a matter of, you know, it still isn't to this day. It wasn't a matter of if you were going to crash. It was more about when that you were going to get upside down. Uh, how did you deal with it back then? With with what? Getting upside down? Well, yeah, just the fact that it was going to be <laughs> such a rough and tumble part of the life on and off the racetrack. Yeah, uh, you know, I... I I've very, been very lucky, you know, through my career, uh, as far as injuries I've had, I think I've had seven concussions from race cars, uh, and the, probably another three or four from motorcycles, yeah. uh, you know, broken ribs, uh, severed my, uh, 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 nerves that go to the deltoid muscle in my left shoulder. And that was at, uh, Belleville, Kansas and Belleville was a scary place. And especially with a midget and, and so that was probably the worst I've ever been hurt. And I was leading the, the, one of the qualifier nights and, uh, and lost a tire came apart. And so I pulled to the top of the racetrack and Robbie flock was running second. And he got into me and got me flipping. Well, I, on a high bank racetrack, you're going to keep crashing until you get to the bottom of the, of the track, the bottom of the bank. So I got to the bottom of the bank and then another car, uh, hit me and drop kicked me another 20 yards. And, and so, uh, that was the worst injury I had. It was a concussion and, uh, the broken ribs, three broken ribs, uh, 
the deltoid muscle. Um, everything else was just kind of a concussion. And a lot of times uh, you didn't remember getting in the race car, so it didn't bother you a bit, which leads to another story. Uh, I was at uh, Knoxville, Iowa one night for the Nationals and uh, uh, spun in the corner. And when I was sideways, got hit by another car in the side. So I, the next thing I, well, actually, I don't remember anything from that day at all. Um, my dog got hit by a car uh, the day before that. We rained out at Knoxville. Oh, and uh, my dog was a black chow. He looked like a little black bear. And so I, he was out in front of the shop, and he was walking around in circles and falling down. So he had this big knot on the side of his head. So he had a head injury. Okay. So I go down to Knoxville, and I get hit. And so the last thing I remember is the day of the rain. So I wake up at night and, and, uh, my wife at the time, Karen says, uh, she woke me up cause she had to wake me up every hour, make sure I was going to wake up and, and there wasn't any problem. So I says, where are we? She says, well, we're in Des Moines. I says, what are we doing here? Uh, we, we were racing at Knoxville. You got crashed. Uh, you have a concussion. And so, then I asked her, who am I driving for? Uh, so she hands me this piece of paper. And on this piece of paper is the answer to every question I was about to ask her. <laughs> and, you know, with a head injury, you have real bad short-term memory. Yeah. So I would ask, then I would ask her again, I said, uh, so how was I fast? And she pointed at the the paper and I, and I go, Oh, okay. Yeah, I was fast. So then I read all the way down the paper. It says, we're in Des Moines. Uh, you got hurt. No, you can't have anything to eat. You have a concussion and you have an upset stomach. Um, you're driving for the K Hills. No, you're not fired. Uh, and the very last answer was no, we're not having sex. <laughs> <laughs> Racer through and through, even with the head concussion, huh, Sills? Yeah, well, you you think you would at least get sympathy sex. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much, huh? Not so much. Oh, man. We're going to be right back and talk more with Jimmy Sills and his new book, Life with Luke, after this on the Ralph Shaheen Show, presented by Lucas Oil. There is less than one hundredth of an inch of motor oil protecting your car's engine. Friction and heat causes engine oil to experience thermal breakdown, weakening its ability to protect the engine and its parts. Lucas Heavy Duty Oil Stabilizer is specially formulated to resist thermal breakdown, protect vital engine parts, and extend the life of your engine. It also stops smoking, knocking, and oil consumption in worn engines. Lucas Heavy Duty Oil Stabilizer. Keep that engine alive. They care about their people. They want their people to get started there and finish there. They offer amazing, amazing benefits. I think it's a good career field. I've been in it for 20 years almost. I still enjoy it. I still like going to work every day. To see everything that's coming out is just it's amazing. It's an exciting opportunity for really a great career in my opinion. With a variety of dealerships nationwide, you can become part of a great team. Apply today at workinhendrick.com. Welcome back to the Ralph Shaheen Show, presented by Lucas Oil. We hope you're enjoying our conversation with Jimmy Sells, a three-time USAC Silver Crown champion, and the author of Life with Luke, written with Dave Argabright, great racing journalist. And, and Jimmy, where can they get the book these days? Where is it? Is Dave's website, DaveArgabright.com? Yes, that's one place. Uh, if you're at Knoxville at the racetrack, they have it in, in, uh, in their gift shop, and also yeah. they will mail it to you. They're the only ones that mail it to uh, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, also, if you're on the West Coast in, in Roseville, California, uh, Hunt's Race World carries it too. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, located inside uh, Bill McAnally's Snap Auto Parts uh, place right there. And if you yes. catch if you catch Jimmy and Dave at the races, they might even sign it on the inside like they did for me. I know you guys are doing that at the Chili Bowl. Where else are you going to be appearing with the book this year? At Knoxville? I think, I think we're... I've, we're almost certain we're going to be at the Knoxville Nationals. Uh, maybe at Knoxville during the uh, the induction weekend. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and then just other other tracks around. Okay, uh, good. Maybe like so. Eldora or something like that. 
during the King's Royal weekend or something. We'll keep an eye on uh, Jimmy's uh, schedule and stuff for that. And Dave, I'm sure, will be posting stuff about that. Uh, let's talk about the Silver Crown cars for a little bit. Three-time USAC Silver Crown champion. The biggest of the open-wheel cars between the midgets, the sprint cars, and the Silver Crown. You ran the sprint cars with wing and non-wing. What was the deal with the Silver Crown car? Why did it just fit you so right? Well, you, you know, in my my retirement and loop, the lukewarm water deal in 88, when I came back racing, I thought, well, now I got, I'm going to race and have some fun with it. So I called my career counselor, Jack Hewitt, and I asked Jack <laughs> you about did, You uh, said counselor? You, you said yeah. Hewitt? You said Hewitt and counselor in the same sentence. If you're, if you're looking at Hewitt as a counselor for anything, you've got some real issues. <laughs> well, it, it shocks everybody, but it, but he has helped my career because I asked him about Silver Crown cars, and, and he told me, he says, yeah, he says, they're really fun to drive. You're on a bigger track. You're going fast. Uh, you get to be in your car longer because uh, the races are 100 miles. And he says, they pay really good. And, well, then later on, when I started my racing school, um, Jack had a two-seater, and people were talking to me about getting a two-seater. So I called my career counselor and Jack says, yeah, I says, I do this and that on the, on the, and here's how we run our program. And, um, so he helped me there. Well, and then even when it came to write a book, you know, call, call my career counselor. Again, yeah. <laughs> how, how's this work? And, uh, so the rest, the rest is history. So yeah, I guess if I have any other career changes, I have to call Jack and, and uh, confer with him well jack did do a great book with dave argerbright as well which i strongly encourage folks to read as well that's a classic okay you look you're the one that brought it up so what what's the greatest jack hewitt story you've ever you've ever been a part of <laughs> uh, well i remember one night we were at uh we were at east bay and it was an all-star race rick nichols was the he was the head official then yeah. and we start the feature i'm I think I'm probably starting third row. Jack is on the outside of me, maybe even a row back. So we go into one and two, and and there's a crash, and it takes two cars out that were on the outside row in front of Jack. Well, typically, you would uh, just move that row up. So Jack was going to – he figured he's moving two rows up. So Rick Nichols comes around, and because they red flagged it, because one of the cars was upside down, they decided they were going to cross everybody over and uh, restart it like those cars were never even in the lineup. Well, okay. now, instead of Jack moving up two rows, I'm actually uh, ahead of him. Yeah, I think he was beside me. So he gets out of his car, and he is screaming at Rick Nichols. And, then, and I'm, I'm scared for Rick's, Rick Nichols. I'm even scared for myself. And I'm hoping Jack doesn't come over and ask me what I think. <laughs> because I'm I'm moving up two rows, or I'm moving ahead. He's he's not getting the full benefit. So uh, finally, they got Jack settled down and and uh, got him back in the car, and and everything was fine. But uh, yeah, you know the the famous video of Jack's uh, 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 interview and the yeah. uh, well, the the kiss my yeah yeah uh, interview. So yeah, that was uh, yeah Jack could get fired up. <laughs> that is great. That is great. Favorite racetrack to run a Silver Crown car? Oh, gosh. That would have to be – it'd either be uh, Springfield or DeCoin. And and hot laps at both places is the most fun you could ever have in a race car because those tracks will have a cushion. And now uh, DeCoin runs at night, so it has a cushion for the whole 100 laps. But then, uh, then it was just the hot lap. So those two tracks were probably the most, the most fun. Because uh, I, thought... I Springfield I, and the coin, you, I know I could run wide open through one and two. Um, I know, like Kyle Larson, he ran wide open all the way around, around there. Uh, the coin, I could run wide open into one. Uh, but yeah, those were the those were the funnest tracks. I thought you might mention Cal Expo there in Sacramento since you had such success there. Cal Expo was really good to me. Um, uh, and I'm not sure exactly why, 
because it was kind of a sandy, abrasive surface. Uh, I kind of had, I guess I had a good formula. I would always take as much, run as little tire stagger as I possibly can and run the hardest tire I could find on the right rear. So the car would be a little bit tight. Um, and, you know, you had to conserve tires so because uh, it was very abrasive. And uh, so it just seemed to work out well for me. And, uh, yeah, that was always, it was always fun, to, especially winning in front of your hometown crowd. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun there. Uh, Eldora was fun in a Silver Crown car and in a Sprint car. Um, yeah, they were, they were all a good time. Uh, Knoxville, um, you know, in my book, I don't talk a lot about the races that I've won, just that turn into good stories. Yeah. Well, here's one that's kind of embarrassing to me, <laughs> but it's, it's a great story. Does it involve your right... career counselor? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was driving George Snyder in AJ Foyt's silver crown car. Yeah. And, uh, and when I got into that, got hired by that team, me and everybody else thought, man, that's it. We're going to win it. We're going to win all these races. And I was, man, I struggled on pavement. I wasn't a great pavement driver. Um, crashed a couple cars, one at, uh, Orlando, one at, um, oh, the, um, track in Pennsylvania. And so I wasn't on George's good guy list. So we go to, we go to Knoxville and we start like third row. We're running as, as probably up as far as second, third, back as to six, just kind of move back and forth. My car is really tight. And, and, and the bigger the cushion gets, the tighter it is on the right rear. So I'm going through one and two and I'm trying to get the thing to turn. And uh, the track in turn two will kind of go out and come back to you. And so I was kind of going to cutting across the slick part and a car just turned around on me. So I spun to a stop, yellow comes out. Now I got to start in the rear. So we get the green flag, go down into turn one. And it seemed like everybody came to a stop and they were spread all the way across the track. I'm trying to worm my way, you know, thread the needle, get through there. Somebody comes down across my right front and spins me again. Oh. So now, technically, I've spun twice in the same lap. Yeah. And and Snyder comes on the on the radio and he says, "Just bring the effort in." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I go, "Oh shit! I man, I can't go in now. I got to redeem myself. I just spun twice in the same lap. I got to get back in this race." So I just kind of act like you know the radio didn't work. Yeah. And I get back out there and I'm working my way up through there. You know, in the back of the pack is, is easier than the front of the pack. And so I'm making, making some positions. And finally I go into three and the cushion is really deep and it's really close to the fence. And so I'm going in there. All of a sudden the car kind of drops on the right rear and the right front, right front hits the fence and the right front climbs the fence and oh, I no. flip Oh no! and it's pretty good flip. And it comes to a stop, and there's Gary Lee, and he's coming across the track with the floodlights and all the cameras, and I'm going, oh, this isn't good at all. And so I'm walking across the track, and, and Gary says, oh, Jimmy says, you're, you're walking a little slow. He says, uh, are you okay from that wreck? And I says, yeah, I'm okay from the wreck. I says, I'm walking slow because I'm pretty far, sure I'm fired when I get back to the trailer. <laughs> and, <laughs> so so everybody on national tv got to got to see me wreck and and actually i didn't get fired until the next monday because george had to he had to find somebody else before he fired me <laughs> what was it the struggles on the payment in the silver crown car that that maybe kept you from getting a shot at something like indianapolis and does did do you do you regret not having had that chance yeah you know and 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 if you could win at, uh, at Indianapolis Raceway Park, um, that was kind of the key, you know, because it was usually televised and everybody in NASCAR was watching it because it was, there were midweek races. And, and if you were fast there, you were going to get a call from somebody or yeah. you could go down there and somebody would, would, uh, would hire you. And, and I pursued, I actually, I got a chance to go to, 
Daytona and test the IROC cars uh, when when Dodge had them. And uh, for two reasons, one it was Dodge and um, True Value was sponsored the uh, the Silver Crown Series and also sponsored uh, George Snyder's car. So um, they got me to go down to Daytona for a test. And so I did really well, uh, had a blast. Uh, you know, and for people that have never been in these those kind of cars, uh, I first went out and followed, I think, Dave Marcus or one of the test drivers, Jim Sauter, and uh, we ran about three-quarter throttle and came back in. They said, okay, go out and make some laps. So we'll go out there, and I know you could get around there wide open, and it took me a lap before I could hold it on the floor, and, and it was pretty easy. It was kind of like driving fast down the freeway, but you look at the grandstands going by, you know you're hauling ass. Yeah. <laughs> so then when it got with three with two other cars, um, then you then the draft started, and so it, you could feel it suck you up to the other car, and, and the hood when you got into the turbulence, the hood would start shaking, and and it felt like the hood was going to blow off, and you had to kind of roll off the throttle when you got to the guy, but then you could lay the throttle back down. And, and get him going faster. You could just watch the tack uh, gain speed, especially when somebody pulled up behind you. You could watch the tack gain speed. Just had a blast. And I had a chance to go to um, Michigan to test again, but I called Jay Signore and he says, you know, he says, we're running with Indy cars. He says, we usually don't get a lot of track time there, so I can't promise you how many laps you're going to get. I had three good sprint car races that weekend that I was going to get paid for. Yeah. And so I took getting paid instead of going there and, and uh, taking a chance. So, you know, you look back and maybe something could have happened there. Uh, but I know a lot of guys have, uh, have gone down South and, and spent some time there, uh, didn't get the good rides and, uh, and it didn't work out. So uh, I have no regrets. Uh, it was a great career and, and uh, uh, would have been fun to go run some NASCAR, but just didn't happen. You know, Jimmy, you uh, have uh, driven so many great cars. You, you mentioned a handful of them. The Marks and Kepler car was beautiful. The, the Snyder car was gorgeous. The Mopar uh, Gary Stanton Silver Crown car, another spectacular ride. What, which one was your favorite? Maybe uh, for the looks, uh, the Heritage, like the Weikert livestock car, or, or maybe the way it performed? Well, Gary Stanton's car was was special because you know I from the first time I ever got in a sprint car, you know Gary Stanton was a huge uh, sprint car builder. His cars were always fast. You guys, Ron Schumann, Leland McSpadden, you know, drove those cars and and they were always tough. And uh, so when when Gary called me to to drive his car, that was that was special. And and uh, and then. And then when we got the Mopar sponsorship, that added a lot to it because we got to do a lot of things uh, with Chrysler. We, when we won the championship, we they had kind of a, a, a dinner and get together with uh, all the racers. And uh, gosh, they sent me a bottle of Dom Perignon, and, <laughs> and uh, it, it was really neat. And and then one, uh, uh, another time we went to. Auburn Hills, Michigan, for uh, the uh, uh, all the racing uh, money was was getting figured out how they were going to spend it. So they wanted all the racers there to kind of fire up this all the CEOs of Chrysler. So uh, we took our car. Uh, that was when the Craftsman trucks were first started. So yeah. Richard Petty had his truck there. Uh, I think that there was maybe two Craftsman trucks. Uh, a funny car was there, uh, top fuel car, and then a bunch of road racing cars. And so we did a tour of the uh, the tech center, which was really interesting. And then everybody went out to this test track behind the the uh, the tech center. And and so uh, Gary says, "All right," says we need to make some laughs in this car, and make sure it's okay and it turns all right, because the CEOs are going to come and drive it. So I said, okay. So I went out, and the first part of the course had some left and right hand road race, you know, 
turns, and then it went downhill into this really steep bank corner. And and a lot of test tracks have that. Have that. It's it's uh, a real progressive banking. And then there's like one lane that's really steep banking up next to the guardrail. So it had one of those corners, and then it went into a straightaway. The straightaway was probably, oh, uh, it was probably a quarter mile long. And then it went into another one of those big bank turns, a longer sweeper, sweeping turn. So I went out there, man, I'm having a blast. And through the uh, through the longer sweeping turn, I'm getting sideways coming off that thing. And, <laughs> and, uh, and so Stanton waves me in. I just waved at him. I made another <laughs> lap. And, and uh, I go, oh, this is so cool. And, and uh, the head of the motorsports comes down there. And he's in a panic. He says, "Oh, oh, we've got to do something to this car." He says, "We, we can't have our guys driving this thing." And I go, "Well, you don't really have to drive it like that." <laughs> and so Stan says, "Well, we got to do something." So I says, "Let's just take the throttle and lengthen the the rod down to the pedal, so the pedal bottoms out quicker, and so it doesn't get full throttle." So, so we do that, and I go back out, and uh, and I'll. All that does is kill a little bit of top end. It still comes <laughs> off the corner the same. So, uh, gosh, I forget who the who the head guy was, um, but he has been the head of, of uh, General Motors, Chrysler. I think he's Buick now. He was a he was a big time guy, and so he got in and drove that thing. And he was kind of a speed nut. He actually had a MIG uh, fighter jet. Oh, wow. That he flew, and so he made a couple of laps, and he's he's he was like me, pulled in. He says, "You guys mind if I make some more laps?" We go, "Hey, you stay out there until that thing's out of fuel if you want to." <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, that was just a great experience, and uh, uh, I got to drive one of the uh, uh, the Vipers that ran uh, twenty four hours at Daytona and Sebring, and uh, I think even Le Mans and had a blast in that thing. And actually those guys wanted me to come and test with them, but it did. The timing never worked out. And so, uh, Mike Dunn, who was, he was a big time drag racer, yep. uh, and, and really fast. He got in one of the cars and, uh, and he went to the first bank turn. The car got kind of loose. Oh, it was in one of the Vipers. The car got loose and he corrected it. And it's, it's, oh, it's spun, it half spun, and then he overcorrected it, and then it went, turned right, oh, no. and went up into the guardrail. Oh, oh man. Caved in the whole front end of that thing. It, all, it was all carbon fiber front, had all this nice aluminum ducking to the radiator and the, and the uh, brakes. Oh. And uh, I thought, oh, <laughs> they come around there and go, all right. You guys stay with your own cars. <laughs> nobody in nobody else's car. Nobody move. <laughs> oh, man. Well, those are just some of the stories that are in Life with Luke and other exciting racing adventures. The story of Jimmy Sills, written by Dave Argerbright. You can get the book at DaveArgerbright.com or maybe catch Jimmy and Dave at the Knoxville Nationals or some of the other upcoming events this year where they'll have the books and have a chance to sign. Jimmy, thanks a lot for uh, joining us today. All right. Thank you, Ralph. Always great to talk to you. Okay, buddy. We look forward to seeing you at the races soon. And everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Ralph Shaheen Show presented by Lucas Oil.